My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out that that new car smell is comprised of up to 50-plus volatile chemicals. Just bought a truck. Love the smell. Don't care. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is, yeah, Keith Beavers, and I am the, uh-huh, <laughs> Tasting's Director of Vine Bear. Today, we're going to talk about a little quick little thing here about AVAs, guys. What is an AVA? Well, it's a DOC, but it's not. But it's, it's kind of, but it isn't. It stops. We'll get into it. <laughs> this episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Orrin Swift. It's no secret that AVAs are one of the most important developments in the wine industry. Orange Swift represents wine across the state of California for multiple AVAs in 100 different vineyards. They know how to capitalize on progress. And cheers to that. Okay, so I wanted to pop on here this week and talk about AVAs. Now, I know I did a three-part series on the history of American wine, and I really go into the AVA history there. But, you know, I, I just want to give us guys a sense of what the AVA system is. And my take on it. So the thing is, what's really fascinating about what we created, the AVA system in the late 1970s and put it into place in the, in the 80s, we created a new style of wine appellation systems. The, the, uh, the French created the AOC system in the 1930s. And there's a whole history behind that. Um, you know, it started in Chesnif de Pop, and then um, it had to do with, like, fraud and all this stuff. And they were trying – there's a lot of the economy and all that stuff. But the, the AOC system in France was developed and was so attractive because of its sort of – organization that other countries in Europe followed suit. Italy, Spain, Germany, Austria, sort of, they kind of had their own things, but they all modeled it off of the, the AOC basically, which today is a different acronym. And I, there's a whole thing about Appalachians. You can talk, there's an episode that I do on that. But what's interesting is as, uh, innovative as the Appalachian system in Europe was and is, there are always people that don't want to be part of it. So there, throughout the history of these Appalachian systems in Europe, they've had to evolve and they've had to tweak and they've had to change things to make sure that this Appalachian system can, can survive modern times. For example, You'll remember from the Super Tuscan episode that the IGT acronym was created in the 90s in response to the popularity of Super Tuscans. Before that, it was just DOC and DOCG, and below that was Vino de Tavola. So it had to tweak, and things even have to change within um, appellations. Centimillion, for example, has gone through a few of those. A lot of them have, even Chianti, but you know, that's kind of how that works. And that's the old world. In the new world, well, really quick, old world, new world. So 
these terms are used, they're old terms, and they're used, they initially were thought to be used, the Europeans used it to differentiate themselves from everywhere else making wine. And it really does make sense because the old world, meaning Europe, because it's been there, humans have been there for quite some time, heavily populated for quite some time, you know, Vines were known for a long time to grow in poor soil. So the thing is, vines ended up on hillsides because of it, and survival crops ended up in more fertile soils. So the vineyard area of areas of Europe are limited. And in, in, in with that, in addition to their climate, this is kind of this kind of defines the old world. Also, the Appalachian system defines the old world. Because in the new world, basically everything outside of Europe, when we created the American viticultural area system, this system became popular throughout the new world. But that's, that's what's so crazy is the AVA system, it's so not the European system. The, the restrictions are barely even there. It opens up a lot of room for innovation and exploration and trying new things. And because of that, other New World regions, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Argentina, these places went more towards what the AVA system does. Actually, New Zealand doesn't even really have an Appalachian system. They just have wine-growing regions. The Oxford Wine Companion calls the AVA system rudimentary. And that's totally true. Quote, a rudimentary answer to the French AOC system of permitting designations of geographical areas. That's it. It's our way of delimiting grape growing regions. And the, there are requirements. I mean, you, you, you have to have a geographical boundary. Of course, it's the same. That's, that's very similar to the AOC, those systems in, in Europe. It has to have a climactic um, boundary, which makes sense, especially in a place like the United States, which is huge. It has to have some authentic or historical authenticity to it. And although that sounds simple, it really isn't. It used to be. If you in the um, the American wine history series I did, you'll notice that the, or even in the Appalachian episode that. From its inception, the AVA system through the 1990s, over 100 or 100 or so, AVAs were awarded. Some of these AVAs are still there but aren't really doing anything, but there are out there. And the thing is, today, it's a lot more difficult to get an AVA going. I think um, in California, there's a small AVA, newish AVA called Fort Ross Seaview on the coast, in the Sonoma Coast. I think that took about 10 years to make happen. I think in the Petaluma Gap, another new AVA just in the Sonoma County area also took a very long time. When you talk to the people that try to make things, these things happen, it takes forever. I mean, just reading the history of Long Island and how long it took for that to actually become a thing. Actually, I should probably interview Richard Olson Harbich, who from Bedell Cellars, this guy was part of making it all happen in 1986 when it became an AVA. Anyway, unlike the restrictive nature of European Appalachian systems, which are great for what they do, here 
there are no limitations on what varieties or to, to plant in your AVA. There is no limitation on the yield in the AVA or any other specifics that you would know, you know, alcohol levels, all this. The only thing that the AVA requires is that 85% of the grapes in a wine labeled with an AVA must come from that region. That's it. And one more. If there's a varietal on the label of the wine, only 75% of that variety must come from that variety from that said AVA. So we're opening up a whole new world of winemaking here. And it's showing actually now, this is a really exciting time in the United States for wine because people are finding that the varieties that exist in these AVAs, some of them have been put into larger blends because of prohibition. They're just like classic and that's just traditionally what happened. You'd have these, these varieties that people don't really think too much about because the United States is, you know, we really concentrate on Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Chardonnay, these, these you know, these Bordeaux varieties. But there's Italian varieties out here. There's hybrids out here. There are things going on and we can do whatever we want with these varieties. We can make them however we want and we can put the AVA on the wine label. It's kind of amazing. And the thing is, some of these AVAs are large. They're huge. You know, they're, they're massive because we're a young country and we went through prohibition and we're still kind of like figuring out this wine thing in the United States. You know, I mean, we are established. Absolutely. Napa helped that, but there's so much more to explore here. And we created AVAs that are huge, but that's great because we started making wine in those large AVAs like the central coast AVA. But then these intrepid humans running through these Hills across the United States from like, you know, the, the Paso Robles area all the way over to like the northern border of North Carolina have found spots where really great wine can be made and are creating smaller Appalachian systems within these larger Appalachian systems. And Fort Ross Seaview that I mentioned earlier is one of those. It's right in the central, the, the Sonoma coast. And that's, that's the cool thing about the AVA system in the United States. There are AVA systems, AVAs that just aren't being used anymore. That's, Crazy. I, I, I read about this one AVA. I think it's called the Elide, Elidide AVA. It's up in the northern, northern part of California, north of Mendocino, almost to the border of the northern border of California. And it's apparently there's 40 acres of Riesling there and no one's using it. It's an old mining town area. Some crazy humans going to go over there and figure this out and make great Riesling from that place. And then we'll have northern California Riesling. I was just recently in Washington state and witnessed amazing stuff going on there, but it's a really good example of this. Whereas the Columbia Valley is massive, but there's all these smaller sub appellations in there and people are sourcing grapes from these areas and they're naming them because they're special. But what's really cool is I had Merlot. I had Bordeaux blends. I had Riesling I had amazing Rhone blends. I had sparkling wine made from Pinot Gris and Chardonnay and Syrah. The innovation in Washington state is incredible. And it's just a kind of what's happening in the United States right now. These younger winemakers are making amazing things happen 
with grapes and, and with ways of making wine that we haven't seen yet. And we're just now realizing it. And I think the AVA system helped us do that. And that's the thing about where we're at right now is we get to celebrate the new AVAs that come online or new wine being made in AVAs that have been around for a while. For example, Lodi, Temecula, Monticello. These are, they've been around for a long time. And now we're seeing because of our new understanding about science, the land, sustainability, organics, biodynamics, agriculture, Virginia itself is having a moment because they kind of cracked it. They figured it out. It's a, not an easy place to grow vines, but those people were determined to make good wine. I'm going down soon to a festival in Virginia to celebrate the wines being made there because they're delicious. Like right now, it's happening. More, more, more so than it ever has been before. I mean, the, the wines coming out of these different AVAs are so exciting. And I, I love just focusing on it because this is a big country. There's so much land here. It's not like Europe where everything's very, very taken. You know, I had an Italian teacher once who said when she first came to the United States, she just could not believe how much land there was because she came from Italy and she said, everything in Italy is occupied. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. My God, Italy is absolutely phenomenal. But I find that I found that amazing. And that's what we have here. We have this big open place and we can do whatever we want in it when it comes to the AVA system. So we get to innovate. And because of what we know now with modern science and everything and sustainability, like I said, we're seeing the coolest stuff. We're seeing co-ferments. We're seeing hybrids being worked with all within AVAs because we can do it. There's no limit to what we can't do here. And the AVA system allows us to do that. So I just not going to take a lot of your time. I just wanted to riff on what an AVA really is. It's an open book for innovation. And I think we're seeing it now. Okay. We're going to talk next week about something very exciting called blind tasting. Get ready to have fun. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. Ian J. Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.